I think the reason why I've become aware of that is because I've started to listen to God speak to me in His Word in ways that I haven't always done. And for me to stand up here as your pastor to say, I've started to read the Word in a, in a, in a, in a more complete way or to read the Word in my daily um, uh, devotional life like I haven't in the past is kind of an uh, embarrassing thing to talk about. That I would be standing in the pulpit Sunday after Sunday giving you God's Word that I have studied and prepared and planned for and to, and, and to confess that, that many days will, will go by where all I'm doing is studying God's Word so I can preach it to you but I'm not reading it for myself and I'm not learning it and I'm not hearing God speak to me day after day after day. And a couple weeks ago, I, a few weeks ago, after coming back from, from some army training, God convicted me of that. And I've been pouring over the word, and I've been listening to him. And then I've been realizing that God has given me opportunities all over the place to share with, with people. If I, if I would just obey him, listen to his word, hear what he has to say to me, and be obedient to it. God wants to move in this world. God guides people to himself. God guides his, his uh, believers to be faithful witnesses. But maybe, maybe we're not guiding people to Jesus because, because we're not going where Jesus wants us to go. Across the street, down to the local market, um, into a neighbor's house, um, onto their Facebook page, I, I, wherever that might be. And maybe we're not going there because... We're not being obedient, and maybe we're not obedient because we're simply just not listening to Him. Listening and obeying the Spirit, leading and guiding us to Him. God is guiding believers to be faithful witnesses who guide others to Jesus, and He's also he's doing it in this way too, by... by in, in, the, in that we guide others to Jesus by initiating a willing gospel conversation. By initiating a willing gospel conversation. So the question that might, might need to be asked is this. Do you think Philip was willing to have a gospel conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch? Here he is. He goes to a desert place, and, and there's an Ethiopian, and as soon as he sees him, the Spirit says, go over and join this chariot. And you know what Philip did? He ran to him. That strikes me as somebody with a willingness to do that, to, to, to share the gospel, to have that kind of, a, of a, a, a gospel conversation to initiate. And look what he does. He goes over and he hears him reading. Now, he hears him reading because that's how people read. <laughs> and 
silent reading time just didn't happen in that culture. So there is this Ethiopian, he's a very religious man, and, and we know he's a religious man because he went to Jerusalem to worship, but there he is with a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. What's he doing with the, the, a scroll of the prophet Isaiah? What's a man like the Ethiopian, a foreigner, doing with something sacred like that? We have probably part of his position. Probably because he was an important person. Probably because he represented the queen of the Ethiopians. Probably, probably because he was a court official and a treasurer that he had some, some special strings that he could pull to get access to a scroll like Isaiah the prophet. But look, he's doing this. Philip hears him, he observes him, and he initiates a conversation. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Have you ever been in a coffee shop and you heard a conversation go on and you, and you went, oh, wow, I, could, I wonder if I should ask it. Oh, no, I won't. Because that would be embarrassing because I'd look like a fool. Ever see somebody reading a, a good book? A book you know that, yeah, that, that book has some gospel connections. Maybe it's a book. Uh, maybe it's a Christian book. Maybe somebody's reading The Insanity of God. And you're like, huh, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> but you're like, nah, I can't say anything because I'm just here to do this. I'm just here to do my thing and I'm not... All the time, right? All the time. It happened to me 13 and a half years ago um, on a bus from Atlanta, Georgia to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And my intention was to mind my own business and keep my head down and get through the next 10 weeks of my life so I could be with my family again. And then I saw somebody with a, a, a copy of a, a Christian book on, sitting on the, on the seat of the bus next to him and I had to ask the question. And just like the Spirit was in an instant saying, talk to that, that, that man, that kid. Conversation ensued, a friendship ensued, and little did I know, but that he and I were going to go through basic training together, go through our advanced individual training together, and be stationed in the same unit in the, at the same post, the inst same installation for the next two and a half years. I didn't know that was going to happen, but God did. And listen to the Spirit, He initiated that, and a friendship that lasts to this day with this man. Are we willing and are we initiating those gospel conversations? Another clue here is this. The, the Ethiopian man says, how can I, in other words, how can I understand what I'm reading unless someone guides me? Now, I was looking at that, that verse because it, 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 it just really popped out to me and I, I looked at it a little more closely and, I, and as I like to do, I like to get into the original languages and I realized that what he's actually saying is this, how can I, again, understand what I'm reading if, if someone is not willing to guide me? 
That's what he's saying. He's saying, so far, nobody has been willing to guide me. Are you willing to guide me? Are you willing to show me what this is all about? That's what the Ethiopian asks. And so Philip is just jumping on that because then not only does Philip initiate, but then the Ethiopian who says, are you willing to guide me? Invites Philip to him. Says, come, let's get together. I would like to know this. I would like to hear more about this. Had a conversation at the window of the cafe a week and a half ago with a young man. And I said, I feel like I need to talk to this guy and ask him how things are going. And I need to initiate something with him. So I said, how's church going? Oh, it's going good. And then he said, I'm reading my Bible, but I don't don't understand what it means. I said, would you like to study the Bible with me? And he said, I would love to. All right, let's set up a time. And I realize that the Holy Spirit is giving me an opportunity to guide somebody to Jesus because I was willing to obey. Just, just, that, just that little nudge of, go talk to this guy. He's somebody you've been ignoring for a long time. And you need to get right with me and get right with him. Our story's not over, me and this, this young guy. But I guarantee you that over the next weeks and months, God's going to do something in his life. It's going to transform him. Are you guiding others to Jesus? Look what they... Of all the passages of Scripture that the man could be reading. He's reading about the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53 that we heard Chris read earlier. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him, a righteous man. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth, and then the eunuch is able to ask the question. And you know, Philip doesn't say, hey, let me come up to you. Um, Let me share with you the three circles, which is great. He doesn't say, hey, have you heard of the four spiritual laws? Which are great, they're true. Philip gets up there and listens And the man asks a question. Who's he talking about? And Philip doesn't waste any time to point him to Jesus. He doesn't say, oh, well, you know, some scholars believe that the talking about, you know, Isaiah himself, or then maybe this is a personification of the nation of Israel and how they suffered and, and da da da. He doesn't go into that. He says, well, historically, you know, Calvin believed XYZ, but then, you know, then the German theologians said such and such, the tubing in school and blah, blah, blah. No, he says, I'll tell you who this is about. This is about Jesus. He cut right to the chase. 
And he answered his question. He opened his mouth. And he spoke the good news about Jesus. He said, maybe he said something like this. This this passage that you're reading is about the man who God promised would come and save his people, but not just his people, but all people, including Ethiopians. Anybody who put their faith and trust in this man. He was called the Messiah. We call him the Christ. And his name is Jesus. And he can save you just like he saved me. Maybe he says something like, I don't know. Maybe I would, I would say something like that. So what happened to this guy? It says, so Philip shared the good news, but then it says they, they were going along a road. They came to some water. The eunuch said, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? I don't remember. Um, I don't see Philip explaining baptism, but he must have talked about that somehow. He must have shared, shared something similar to what Peter said in, in Acts chapter 2 when people were like, wow, if this is the good news of Jesus, what should I do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. And so I, I got to assume that that was part of the explanation of the good news that Philip shared with the man because the man's like, there's water. Why can't I be baptized? There's another verse in there. If you're really attentive, you'll see that goes from verse 36 to verse 38 in most modern English translations. Because, uh, because uh, later on, pretty early on, um, tr- people who are transcribing the, the Scriptures decided to add another verse and they thought, well, we need to make some, put some clarity in there. Though. So let's add a verse in there that says, Philip asked him, if you believe it with all your heart, you may be baptized. And the man replied with a, with a, 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 a formula, a, a confession of faith that was very popular, a very short confession of faith that was very popular in the centuries after the Bible times and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, pr- probably wasn't in the original text, which is why it's not in most of our modern translations which are trying to be as accurate to the original text as possible. But listen to the heart of that. Listen to the heart of that belief. Transformation occurs on the level of the heart. We saw that last week. And we saw, and we see here a belief in Jesus Christ who is the Son of God. And nothing should prevent a person from being baptized at that point. I believe. Yes. I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. I want to be baptized. So what do they do? They get down and they are baptized. The Philip baptizes him, he, he, he dunks him under water, and then when he comes out, the Spirit carries Philip away, and the eunuch says, sees, saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. And I don't know what's going on there, but I think here's what happened. They got out of the water and Philip disappeared. If you want any further explanation than that, I don't have it for you. That's just what happened. Because that's what God, God can do that stuff. And, and he did with Philip. He was gone. The Spirit took him away. Carried him away. Maybe lifted him up. But it says he he didn't look up in the sky and see Philip floating away. But he's just gone. And beyond that, I don't have any more to share with you about that. But what's going on there is the eunuch is being baptized. He's putting his faith and trust in him. And he's coming up out of the water rejoicing 
that he has found Christ and that he has been obedient in baptism. Now, a lot of people will say, will read this story and say, isn't this a, isn't this a good example of how when, if somebody confesses faith in Christ, we ought to just baptize them on the spot, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, and, and let's, just, let's just make this happen. And, you know, hey, we're out camping. Guy says, you know, I think I believe what you believe. All right, yeah, really? You believe? Okay, let's pray together. All right, I'm praying. Hey, there's a creek right here. Let's just jump into that little swimming hole and baptize you right here on the spot. Um, I don't think that's what, that's what um, uh, Philip and, and the eunuch and this story is teaching us. Uh, I don't think it's, it's, it's showing us that Philip uh, baptized the, the man almost instantaneously after he believed. But um, I, I, I thought about this. I thought, well, what kind of place were they at? Were they at? You know, they got up in the chariot, they were riding along, and, and they, were, they were in this place near um, the, the area of Gaza. And then I did a little bit of research, and I, and I discovered that that place, that location, um, was a popular oasis, a popular place to stop, because it was kind of like the last stop before you head down the highway and get to Egypt. And so, for us, it would be like you're driving through, through uh, the, the west or the midwest, and you're just cruising down the highway, and you come to a little oasis, and you go, ah, oh, there's another loves. Ah, oh, thank goodness. All right. We got our loves. We're going to stop and get gas. There's a little restaurant there. There's a place to, to do our business, and, and there's a lot of people hanging out there, and hey, there's a little picnic area. We can have lunch, and then we can get back on the road, and it'll be another hour or two or three before we get to our next stop. And so when Philip is baptizing the, the Ethiopian eunuch, it's not just him, the two of them like in his bathtub in his home or in their swimming pool, or in a creek somewhere, there is testimony. We've talked about this. We, like the, um, in our Discover Covenant membership class, we, we have tried to explain that baptism is a public testimony of Jesus' death and resurrection and the new life of the believer. And here is the Ethiopian eunuch who undoubtedly was traveling with companions who were assisting him. It wasn't just him alone in, a, in, his, in his chariot reading the scroll like he's like, like reading his smartphone while he's driving or something like that, crashing his chariot and, and probably didn't have a deaf and dumb or blind he was, certainly wasn't blind, but it, it wasn't like the, the driver, you know, couldn't hear anything that was going on and just totally oblivious or the, the screen was up and there was like private limo kind of thing, like you could do whatever you want back there. Ethiopian had people with them, probably traveling companions, and when they stopped there and said, here's water to be baptized, there were probably dozens, at least dozens of people around going, what is going on? What are they going into the water? And there's the Ethiopian man, I'm, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to be baptized. I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus as a public testimony to what God... Now, obviously, the author doesn't say, I'm kind of reading into it. I'm making assumptions. 
There's implications that, that the context of where they were and what they were doing and, and, the, and the route and the traveling and where they might have stopped lead me to believe that this was not just a private little ceremony, but that it was a public expression, an outward expression, if you will, of an inward reality that happened in the Ethiopian's life. All because Philip listened and obeyed the Spirit. That was, he was ready to initiate a willing gospel conversation. And look what he does at the, does at the end. This is important. Because Philip says, found himself in Azotus, which was an old, which was an old, um, uh, uh, what were those? Philistine city. It was an old Philistine city. And there he is in this Philistine city on, on the coast of, of uh, Mar, uh, Palestine, of the Mediterranean. And he's like, well, here I am. And so what does he do? He continues up the coast, preaching the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea, which was one of the, which was essentially the, the capital city of that Roman province, named after Caesar himself. We guide others to Jesus by faithfully trusting God to grow his church. And we um, I read a little bit from that book, The Insanity of God. The insanity of God is, is like sending a, a great evangelist to a desert place to save one man. And then, carrying him away before he can disciple this man and help him to get into a church. There are so many times when we faithfully share the gospel with people who come to faith in Christ or we disciple somebody and we pour our, our, our hearts and lives into them and have those gospel conversations with them and we teach and we equip and then they're gone or we're gone. What does one do? One has to faithfully trust God. We have to trust God. We have, to, we have to let God be God over those relationships and not think, ah, oh, wasted opportunity. Ah, oh, I had that and it's gone now. But Philip maintained his faithful witness by continuing to preach the gospel wherever he went. We want fruitfulness to happen. Uh, I love how... Tim Keller can contrast success in ministry versus faithfulness in ministry, and then he points us to fruitfulness in ministry. That's what we all want to see. We want to see God move. We want to see God grow. We want to see people come to faith in Christ. We want to see people's lives transformed and grow deep and serve and minister and, and be part of, that, of the local church and part of the mission that God has. We want to see fruitfulness, but fruitfulness doesn't happen without Faithfulness. And Philip was a faithful witness to what God had done. What about us?
What about us? Are we guiding others to Jesus? Are we sharing what we have, the love that we have? The reality is, and it it needs to be restated, we are guiding others to Jesus because God is guiding us. And God has guided us. He is, is calling people. He is drawing them. I wanted to share with you two or three other stories um, from Nick's, Nick Ripkin's story. But I, we don't have time, so you just have to read those on your own. It is amazing how God is working around us. And guess what? He's working here. And he's working in this city. And this valley. I pray that we will open our eyes to see and we'll open our ears. We will hear God speak to us. We will listen and we will obey. Don't give heart. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Listen. Obey. Initiate. Share. Be faithful. And trust God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you have done in us. Thank you for this word. Thank you for challenging my heart this week and this morning. And I do pray, God, that you will be glorified, that you will be lifted up, that you will continue to speak to us. God, make us sensitive to your Holy Spirit. May we listen and obey. May we we initiate uh, willing gospel conversations, God. May we faithfully trust you, God, to grow your church, knowing that we are here because of Jesus, his sacrifice, what he's done for us. We pray these things for your glory and our joy. In the name of Jesus.